Ah, that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's what we're here for. That's all we do. That's all we got to give away. You know, we, uh, we always are, are plotting and scheming in the, in the staff meetings and around here. The staff trying to like, we want to go bigger. We want to reach more people. We want to do what we do better. We want to put cameramen floating in the service right there next to you guys so you can have them because we want a clearer picture. You know, we're always trying to, to do everything that we do better. But we always got to remind ourselves and come back to it. It's all about that. It's all about changed lives. It's all about giving Jesus to people and the hope that he has. We got nothing to give away as a church, really, right? Except Jesus Christ. You get nothing, no, no one, nothing you can do to, to better this world if you can't give away Jesus Christ. Everything else is just meaningless. And so uh, praise God for what God's doing in people's lives like that. We love it. Easter is going to be full of those kind of messages. Good stuff. Um, John Bevere is coming in two weeks. And um, for some of you guys, you saw the thing. Some of you guys know he's written all those amazing books, Bait of Satan, uh, Relentless, uh, what, what else? Undercover, Extraordinary, amazing uh, gifted speaker and author. And just to let you guys know, if you're not familiar with him, he doesn't always yell like that, right? You saw the video, is he just going to yell at us the whole time? No, that was just like clips of when he's like extra fired up, right? But he's actually a really good teacher and you guys are going to get a lot from him. So that's in a couple weeks. And then we got Easter coming up. We got the Easter Fest, which is next week. And again, that's not just like, yay, go to the church and hang out with all my friends. It's the whole reason is that you would bring people that have never been to this church before. We're trying to reach out. It's not just a thing for us. So we're hoping that we bring in the community and our friends and our families and our neighbors to give them a chance to get a taste of what Barb found. That's what it's all about. So I hope you guys do that. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, we're going to be talking about another question. You guys remember last week how we talked about chapter 7 was about the Corinthian church had been writing Paul and asking him about certain questions. And remember last week the topic was on marriage. You guys remember that one? It was a pretty heavy one. We talked about uh, just kind of some advice for mar uh, Christians married to other Christians, Christians married to non-Christians, and then Christians who are not married yet, right? And... Um, I got a lot of feedback from last week's sermon. I mean, God was speaking to a lot of us. I mean, it was really, really good. There was people that were coming and going, you know what? It's time. I need to go to counseling. I need to fix my marriage. I need to take charge, and I need to fight for my marriage. I said, amen. We all should be fighting for our marriages. And other people are just coming and going, you know, I've been blowing it in some big areas, and some husbands and wives were coming and confessing things that were really not easy to confess, that were hidden, that were dark, that were there. And, and God was bringing healing and restoration. And it's not sealed and done and over with, but once you bring sin out of hiding, it just sets you free, right? And then you can deal with it, and then you can learn to love and seek God. So that was happening. Some married couples were even coming and telling me, thank you so much for your sermon. That was so good. The marriage of sex. I got lucky because of that sermon. Yay, high five. And I'm like, oh, TMI, buddy. Too much information. That's good, and high five, but that's you and your wife, and I don't need to know about it. But hey, you know what? Praise God, because God created sex, and it's supposed to be healthy, and we're supposed to be having it inside of marriage, right? So God was doing stuff last week. There was all kind of good stuff happening, and even single people were like, you know what? Thank you. I've been dating for the wrong reasons and dating the wrong people, and I'm going to do it right. Some, one couple even came to me. They have a kid already, and they just said, you know, we're going to stop. I'm like, stop what? We're going to stop having sex. We're living together. We're not married. We have a kid. We're going to stop until we get married. We're doing it God's way. I was like, whoa, that's a, you ready for that? That's a big step. Now that you've had it, it's hard to not. And they're like, nope, we're making things right with God. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. So God was moving, and I know he's speaking. 
So last week's message was really powerful. Um, but again, remember now, this isn't just Paul writing random stuff. This is the people at Corinth actually writing, like, Paul, we got a question about marriage. Can you answer specific questions? And today, it's the same deal. They've got questions, certain specific questions that Paul is going to answer. And we're going to get into that. The sermon title is called Freedom with Responsibility. But I want to ask you guys a question to kind of start this off. It relates directly with what we're going to be talking about. I want to ask you this question. I want you to think right now of one of your favorite teachers in life. Instructors, coaches, it could be just someone you learned from, a family member, a spouse, a brother, sister, mom and dad or whatever. It could be a coach, it could be a, a teacher, I don't know, any, anybody that has taught you something and instructed you, I want you to think about them right now, just be thinking in your head. And I want you to be able to share the reason why that person was your favorite teacher. What quality about them being a teacher made you respect them and love them and remember them to this day and be thankful for them? What was it, how their delivery was, what they said, what it brought about in you, just the way that they, they did it? What was it that made them a good teacher? Everybody thinking of that right now? Thinking of that person or people? I want to hear from you guys some qualities of why that person was your favorite teacher. And we got microphone runners right here. Microphone master, Rob and Brad are our pastors and uh, college pastor, junior high pastor. We want to hear from you guys right now. Raise your hand and if you got something you want to share. Why you had a favorite teacher? My favorite teacher was uh, Mrs. Hill. She was my history teacher. Mm -hmm. And she encouraged me not only to memorize, but to fall in love with history. Oh, that's good. Someone made you fall in love with the, the stuff. That's good, yeah? So you actually love the subject matter. Okay, we got another one. My, Brad's got one. My over. favorite teacher was my neighbor, and she was just so nurturing. Nurturing. She was like a mother to me, even though she wasn't my mother. Wow, that's cool. Nurturing, have, have a love for the subject matter. These are really good qualities right here. Um, my favorite teacher was my mom, um, because she walked the talk. Awesome. That's you. That's big, yeah? Walk the talk. That's super important. Someone else. Go, Brad. Run, run. Oh, Brad, you ain't tricky back there. Hi, my favorite teacher was Miss Self because she gave me a chance. I was kind of a bad kid before her, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, all these teachers were like, oh, we don't want her in our class, you know? And Miss Self, she's the, she's the one that gave me a shot. So. Wow, that's awesome. Yes. Someone gave you a chance and other people didn't. That's good. That's a good reason. You got one, Rob? Um, this was a professional instructor, and he was not afraid to admit that he didn't know it all and to amend, you know, something he taught years ago. He would go back and say, okay, I was wrong back here. This wow. is a way to do it. So Sweet that humility. made me Yeah, that's good. Admitting when you're wrong. I like that one, too. Anybody else? Make them run. Yeah, go all the way to the back. There, right there. Oh, there's one here. And then Rob, see the hand in the back? Favorite teacher and why? My favorite teacher is Miss Laurie because she teaches reading class and math class. Wow. And, she, and she's so silly sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's a good reason to have a good teacher, right? A good sense of humor. Yeah, sets you at ease. Thank you for that. That's a good one. In the back. Uh, my teacher, uh, Mr. Woodside from uh, Intermediate School, because he didn't treat me just as a student, but he treated me as a son. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's like the other one, nurturing, right? We heard from over there. Anybody else? Any more, more hands? These are all good qualities of a teacher. We got one right here. Uh, 
My favorite teacher was Dave Dorpat. He was a pastor, and after I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he opened the Bible to me in a class in so many ways uh, that it just was wonderful. Wow, wow. Thank you. Thank you. I saw one more right here. Michael, yeah? My favorite teacher was my dad. He taught me uh, most I know on cars, and just whenever I encourage any kind of problem in life, he just uh, encourages me to push forward, and I'll get through it. So That's good. Always there for you, teaching and perseverance. These are good, yeah? It's, I, and I want you guys to be thinking as we're talking about this, because this is exactly what Paul is going to be. Thank you, guys. Thank you to Brad and Rob. Thank you, guys, for getting some exercise for me this morning. But what we're talking about this, this morning in chapter 8 here is, is Paul uh, talking about us as Christians and how we relate to others and that we should have these kind of qualities, that we should be nurturing, that we should always be uh, pushing people to push on through, to persevere, but also coming across in a way that's just like family. Like I, I noticed someone said they treated me like their own son or their own daughter or something, uh, having a good sense of humor, all of these different things. Paul is actually answering questions now, um, interestingly enough, the, the Corinthian Christians here had some problems that there was a, cu- a couple of groups of Christians in the church that were kind of fighting a little bit, couldn't see eye to eye, had different, different opinions on a matter. And what they were talking about was food that had been offered to idols, okay? Non-religions out, outside of Christianity. In Corinth, there was a lot of different temples and a lot of pagan practices, non-Christian practices, where they would worship idols in worshiping their other deities and their other false gods and the, the demonic stuff like that. And so a lot of times they would make sacrifices. And they'd kill the animal and they would take the parts and they would burn it up and they'd offer it to the false idols and to the false gods. But then there was all this good meat left over and they would send that to the marketplace. And here's where, what could happen. In the city of Corinth, when you're out on a regular day and you're shopping for food for your family, you can buy in the normal marketplace, but there's not as much meat available and the prices are really high because there's so much temple worship and all this stuff going on. The temple was always getting rid rid of the leftover good meat and they're selling it at a discounted price. And a lot of times right there in the temples themselves in the front of them, they would open up little restaurants, not, not having anything to do with worshiping a God, just basically getting rid of the extra meat and making money from it. So they'd sell the meat or they would have little restaurants. And so some of the Christians were going around and feeling like, you know what? Um, I know that it's okay for me to eat the meat because the meat is just the meat. It's left over. It's not used in part of the sacrifice. It's not worshiping other gods. They're just getting rid of extra meat. The meat is meat. I can eat it. I only believe in one God, so I'm good. So I can eat at these places. And there was a bunch of other Christians that had just come out of those pagan religions. They were actually used to go to those temples, but now they knew Jesus. And they're going, I know Jesus, and he sets me free, and I don't have to do any of that stuff. But... I don't want to eat that meat because to me, I think it's still, it's bad. It's wrong. And the other Christians are going, no, it's okay. It's no big deal. We believe in Jesus. That's just the leftovers. It's, it's all right to eat. So they had these problems. They couldn't figure it out. And so they were asking Paul about it. And this is where we pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And I just titled this in your notes if you want to take your notes out. I hope you do. I hope you take advantage of taking notes and marking up your Bible to remember things, highlighting all that. Because it's just one more way to receive sensory input, right? You can sit there and listen to a message and then you go out the door and you're already thinking about lunch and the sermon is gone, right? Or you can start taking notes on it and writing things in your Bible and it reminds you for later and you go to mini church this week and you're like, hey, what'd you get out of it? I don't remember. Oh, wait, I have notes. All right, here's what God spoke to me. And it kind of 
just kind of um, permeates into you a little bit deeper. So look at this first one in your notes. I just titled it, Love Beats Knowledge. He says, now regarding your question about food that's been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. Anywhere in the Bible where it's like the quotes like that, Paul's basically quoting them. We know that you guys are all saying, we all have knowledge about this issue. In other words, they had been saying, Paul, we know what's right. How come these guys are having problem with the, the meat over here? We know that it's okay. And so Paul goes, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But, and here comes the key to what we're talking about today. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. It's really cool. Some of your Bibles, the translation might say, uh, knowledge puffs up, but it is love that builds up. And I really like that. Just underline that one in your notes or in your Bible or something. That's a key verse for us. Uh, verse 2 says, anyone who claims to know all of the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. And that, what I put in the, the notes right there is that love beats knowledge. And this is what I want, I want you to maybe write down, is knowing God is more important than knowing about God. Right? Knowing, truly knowing God is far more important than just knowing and having a knowledge and an awareness of God and all of his rules. Here's, here's why we know this is true. If you look at verse 2, and we, we often read in our Bibles, we read the English version of it, and sometimes they don't add in enough of the words that, that accurately depict the picture that was painted when they spoke them in Greek back in the day as they were speaking these words. But let me give you a little bit of an insight onto this. There's, there's a couple times in verse 2 where the Bible uses the word know, but they're very different words. They're actually very different meanings in the original language. In verse 2, it says this, Anyone who claims to know, and the word used here means have facts or knowledge or an awareness of. Anyone, read it like this, anyone who claims to be aware of all the answers doesn't really know. But this know means an intimate, personal, experiential type of knowing. You guys see the difference of, well, I can know about, I can know about my wife. She's this old and she does this and she does this for a living and she, she looks like this. I can know the facts about her. But there's another way that I can say, but I know my wife, where it's like, I know how she's thinking. We spent time together. We have heartfelt talk. We have intimacy together. We're in this together. I really, really know my wife, not just know about her. You see the difference there in the words know? And so he's saying there, hey, it's really great that you know everything, that you have all knowledge. But he's saying, knowledge just really tends to puff us up with pride. I know all about God. I know his regulations. I know it's okay to eat the meat. But Paul's going, but if you really, really know God, then you know that God is love, and you know his love for other people, and you know that that's more important than lording your knowledge over someone else that doesn't have that knowledge yet. You guys get what I'm saying? This is the thing Paul is saying to us today is we need to be the kind of encouraging teachers, and this is what I think it all comes down to is don't make other people feel stupid. Right? Any good teacher that I've ever had never made me feel dumb. They got in there, in the trenches along with me, as you guys kind of shared, and they're there to help you and encourage you along. But there, there's some situations where you go to some classes, and you just feel so dumb and beaten up, and they talk down on you condescendingly, belittle you, and you're just like, oh, man, I don't like you. I don't like how I'm feeling. Right? A good teacher is going to come along and say, let me show you a better way. I could drop all my knowledge on you right now and make you feel dumb, or I could kind of put that on hold and come alongside and love you because I care about you. And this is what Paul is kind of asking us to do, is knowing God is more important than knowing God. Look at these verses. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God 
and knows God. There's our word, knows, intimately experiences God. Anyone who loves is a child of God, and they know God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In other words, he's saying, what's more important, knowing about God or really knowing God? You really know God, then you know that he's love, and you should act like that. And later on in the chapter, 1 John 4, verse 21 says, and he's given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Truly knowing God means knowing God is love, means knowing God's heart for love, means having that heart for love. If you really, really know God, then knowledge is cool and that's good to have, but if you can't deliver it in a loving way where you're caring about that person, you're just going to be making them feel bad and, and messing them up. And we got to take one for the team and we got to be together in this. The we always has to be more important than the you or me. I love saying that because it's so true in our lives as Christians. The we has to be more important. This past week, I got an interesting, almost negative example of this. Okay? Sometimes you learn from a positive example, right? What to do. And sometimes you learn from a negative example what not to do, right? And this past week, this is interesting, it talks about this, about knowledge, about being right, and about maybe compromising so that you can love on that person and help lift them up to where you're at. Um, we do the prayer record, request cards, right? The ones that we talk about up there, and you guys write down your stuff, and you say, hey, can you please pray with me because I'm going through this hard issue. Well, we take those things real seriously. We, you know, it's not just like play, and it's not like we just collect them and throw them in a basket and do like a, a lump prayer over them. We actually take them all, um, they get ma- emailed out to the whole prayer team. So the prayer chain, you've got like almost 100 people that are praying every week over all of these requests. And it's confidential, and they, they keep it under wraps, and they're just lifting up your prayers for God. So I love that we're joining together for prayer. But first step is it actually goes to the staff on Tuesday mornings. We sit around in staff meeting, we pass out all the cards, and we all just take a moment, and we all get like three or five cards or whatever, and we all just pray individually over all of these cards. And when there's praise reports, we share those, and the whole staff's like, yeah, we're praise God together with you. But those cards are for two reasons and two reasons alone, okay? I just need to give this little reminder because this is part of my example, is they're for prayer requests or they're for praise reports. I got one this week. Of all the staff members that could have went to, this one came to me. I grabbed it, and it said, a personal observation. And I already went, "Uh uh-oh, that's not a prayer request and that's not a praise report. And usually when people make personal observations, it's negative criticism. And sure enough, I started to read it and it was just neither a prayer, neither a praise. It was simply, "Um, I have a problem with some staff members and blah, 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 and the negative, and this is why, and this is what I think about them. Now, that card went to the wrong guy, just to let you know. I'm the, I'm the lead pastor of this church, and you're criticizing my staff, right? And I'm the one that just got done several weeks ago preaching on about how family's supposed to love enough to confront face-to-face. And Jesus says in Matthew 18, we're supposed to go to the people that we have problems with and talk it and ask questions and figure it out so we can love each other as family, right? right. So I went to the wrong guy. So I'm mad right there at that point. Whoa, hey, what's this about? And then I'm, and after the mad, because I'm like, well, you know what? We're supposed to have grace for people. Maybe the person is just uninformed, so we need to talk about this stuff. So then my heart gets bummed that my family, our church family, would be doing this kind of sniper stuff at one another instead of going up and just talking. But we're going to go and say bad things about someone, and we're not even going to put our name or phone number down. It's just like, you deal with it. I don't like that person, and that's just where it is. And I hope everyone knows it. That's not cool. Those, Those are prayer request cards or praise report cards, right? So I look at this thing, and and. 
I'm not, just hear me, because you might be in this room, might be you that wrote that thing, and I'm cool with that. I'm okay with that. I'm not trying to single you out. I'm not trying to, to, to make you mad or come against you in any way. I'm just saying, that's not what our Bible says, guys. We, we need to love one another to the point of not taking shots. And here's the deal. If you wrote that thing, you might be totally, 100% completely, completely justified in why you wrote that. My staff might be acting up. They might be deserving all the comments that you made about them. They totally might be, and I'm willing to go with that. And so you might be 100% right in everything you're saying, but being right doesn't always solve the argument, right? Being right isn't about loving in the family of God. Sometimes you have to compromise and you have to realize that people are at a different place than you and you have to go to them and love them at their level and work it out as a family, amen? And so I'm giving you kind of a negative thing, but if you wrote the thing, I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying, this is how we got to be, guys. Let's not do this to one another. And here's Paul saying that is, yeah, you feel right and justified about what you do with that meat, and you go to the barbecue, and that's cool, but other people aren't. So be careful. Be aware of other people. Just knowing doesn't mean everything. It says, it talks about um, who God is in his love in James 3.17, where it says, but the wisdom, because we're talking about knowledge and wisdom, the wisdom from above, from God, is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Don't force your knowledge and your rightness on other people, even if you are completely right. Being right is not always the best thing. Sometimes you have to go, you know what? Agree to disagree, but let's be family. Let's go talk about this stuff. Let's together learn the way that God wants us to go instead of saying, my way is the only way and you got to come to where I'm at or I'm not going to be friends with you at all and I'm going to lord my knowledge over you. But it's, it's realizing that there's, there's compromise. And as you write stuff down, you're writing, don't force your knowledge on others, write this one down, three L's. Let love lead. Let love lead. And you might be totally right and justified in what you want to say, but still that's not going to be what's best for the other person. Knowledge gets puffed up with pride, but love is what actually builds up the body of Christ. And so we got to be aware of the people in our lives and we want to push our agendas and our opinions on people. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. If they're not ready for it yet, I'm going to have grace with them. I'm going to have patience with them and I'm going to work things out. Because the way I look at this in my own life is I have three kids. And because of their different maturity levels, there's some stuff that we don't necessarily talk about. Myself as an adult and them as kids. Not because anything's wrong, it's just that they can't, they're at a different place, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't really ask like my 10-year-old son who he's going to vote for in the upcoming election, right? Like, what, dad? I don't, what is voting? I don't know how, you know? Like, oh, which guy's good? I'm going to vote for the good one. Well, that's like, you know, you get into a conversation with a 10-year-old kid and it's like, you can't do it, right? There's just some stuff that you're like, like, hey, what is your political view on um, the situation over there in the Middle East? My son's like, what, middle where? You know, what's going on, right? And do I come with him with all of my knowledge and go, what are you, you haven't been watching the news, son? You don't read Time Magazine? Come on, you dummy. Right? I don't come at him with that because he's just not there yet. You guys get what I'm trying to talk about? We're driving in the car and my, my three-year-old daughter in the back, she's like telling me how to drive and stuff like that. And I could easily come in and just go, how dare you? You are so wrong. Read the driver's ed manual right now. Get it right. Come on. Or I could tell her, she's like, dad, how come you're not going? I'm like, okay. That's a red light, Sammy. That means we have to stop. Red, I love red. Rojo, I learned that from Dora. Red is rojo. Yeah. Okay, but 
You see how it's a whole different playing field? Like I have all knowledge and I am completely right because I know the laws of driving and I have my license, right? But if I'm to lord that over her and say, come on, get with the program, you little three-year-old. Come on, you know, that's wrong. And so Paul is trying to say here, everybody's at different levels in their walk and their faith and where they're at in, in their, their walk with God. We got to be careful not to put our own values in the whole like, I'm right and everybody else is wrong on other people because that's not letting love lead. Amen? And we want to let love lead. We got to be careful. My, um, my mortgage broker, what's he called? Mortgage and finance guy? See, I don't even know. My finance and mortgage guy, Larry, is unbelievable. He's this super smart genius when it comes to all things uh, finances and mortgage and investments and stock market, all of this, um, that kind of oriented stuff. When we bought our first place like several years back, we went into his office and um, I could tell right away that I was like pretty dumb, you know, compared to him and where things are coming at. And we just wanted to get a house, but I'm like, I don't under what is escrow? Equity, what are the, I don't understand. What do you mean the, the, the percentage rate of this is, is good for the mortgage and there's all these points and there's this and that. All of this was just so foreign to me. And I'm freaking out and, and Kanani and I walk in and we're like, oh no, we just want to get a place and this is going to be hard and we don't understand any of it. And we walk in and this guy already, he's, he's smart, you can tell. He's got three separate cell phones just for his life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> this guy is gnarly. And he's got the stocks um, going live, you know, on the screens and his computers and all this. I'm like, oh, this guy, oh man, we're, we could get lost here. He could take advantage of it. We don't even know what's going on, right? And we go in there and he begins to talk, but instantly, right off the bat, he's like, hey, how are you guys doing in your first place? Can I get you some waters? Here, have some waters. And Oh, is this your little girl? She's so cute here. She can play with stuffed animals. And he's just talking. I'm like, I suddenly start feeling, oh, this guy is cool. He's this super genius, super smart guy. But he just starts going, do you guys know anything about mortgages and the stock market and all that? And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> he's kind of like, I don't know anything. And we're sitting there. And so he takes the time and he just starts going, well, let me tell you, let me take you back to 1973 when the stock market did this. And then two years later in the fall, it did this. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And he can see it in our eyes, right? And so he's over there like this. He's got his paper. He's like, let me, let me show you guys your options and whatnot. And he starts doing this, and it's facing us, and he starts writing everything upside down. And I'm going, oh my gosh, this guy's incredible, right? He's like, oh, yeah, 4.2 million with an annual annuity, da 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 And I'm just like, oh, this guy's crazy, right? But in the midst of it all, and when I left that place, I didn't feel dumb. He didn't make me feel bad. He was on my side. He came down to where I was at, and he goes, in all my knowledge, I could make you feel like this, but that's not what it's all about. I'm more concerned about my relationship with you guys, you guys finding your f first place, getting you guys in there. I want you to feel good. And here's Paul telling us we should be aware of this kind of stuff in our lives. We don't think it's a big deal because we're like, I don't ever eat meat sacrificed to animals or, you know, sac sacrificed to idols. But it does relate to us in other terms in today's day and age. Look at verse 4 where it says, be aware of others. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? In other words, Paul just gave him a good principle is let love lead. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So be more concerned with love than with the knowledge. So they're like, okay, we get that. But now he goes, let's talk about the specific instance that you guys are in. Well, we all know, and here's Paul speaking, that an idol is not really a God and that there is only one God. Do you guys agree? Yes. Idols are just little dumb things that are used to worship inferior imitation gods. We have the real one. We know the real one. Verse 5 says, there may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But we know that there is only one God, the Father, who created everything 
and we live for him. There's only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom God made everything and through whom we have been given life. And they're just going, yeah, that's right. But look at verse 7. However, not all believers know this. Remember, not everybody's where you're at yet. People are younger in the faith. Not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that's been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods and their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. In fact, he goes to the next verse, we don't lose anything if we don't eat it and we don't gain anything if we do. Paul is saying this to these Christians. doesn't matter if you eat the meat or not. doesn't matter to God. It's not an extra good thing, but it's not an extra bad thing. He, what he's saying here is, because those are just false idols and you're not participating in the religious pra- practice of it, this is after all that's done, that's just meat. That's just meat. Go barbecue, have fun. It's okay. You know, It's just meat. It doesn't matter one way or the other. But here comes the powerful verse, and I hope you underline this in your Bible or highlight it or write it down or whatever. And it says um, in verse 9, but you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. Because you're okay with something and you even feel justified before God that you're okay with something doesn't mean you should force someone else to see things the way you do. If they're at a different place in their walk and in their maturity with the Lord, don't force yourself on them and ruin their conscience and violate something that they're just trying to come along in God and they think it's wrong and you force them to do something and it screws up their whole walk of faith. Does that make sense? And we think, oh, I, don't, I don't really do that too much, but I, I believe we kind of do it more often than we not, but then we realize. But look at the, the verse that talks about idols because there's a little side point in here that I think is really good. It speaks to us where he says an idol is not a real God. An idol is just an image or an object used to worship a false deity. Psalms 115 speaks about this. Their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, throats but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. Idols are just little dumb, inanimate objects that people use to worship false gods. Now that's bad, but the idol itself doesn't really have power. So when they're offering meat to that idol, it's not really, that's just a fake idol and just, just meat. In fact, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which we're going to get to in a couple weeks here, in verse 19 says, What am I trying to say? Am I saying that food sacrifice or offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? Paul says it clearly. No, not at all. I'm saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. He's basically saying the demons are wrong, the worshiping the, the, the demons is wrong, the worshiping the idols is wrong, but when there's just meat that was just used for one thing, it's still just meat. So afterwards, it's all said and done, it's not a big deal. But here's the thing. Sometimes we, even as Christians, we give too much power to idols in our own lives. We dabble with stuff that we ought not to be dabbling with. What I'm saying is this, why settle for the false imitation power when you can go straight to the source, the mighty living God that has all power, and you can ask for his direct blessing in your life? Here's what I mean. Why do we mess around with, even in fun, Ouija boards, tarot cards, palm readers, dream catchers, lucky objects, all of this stuff? If you go and you research and you look at that stuff, all of that is stuff that is used to worship other gods other than Jesus Christ. Even stuff that we think is like, oh, that's no big deal. Why would we mess around with 
dabbling with any of that kind of stuff when we can go straight to the God of all power. You see what I'm trying to say? Is there's too many of us that like we, we do things for sports or whatever and like, oh, I got to go um, play soccer or football with my lucky socks. I never wash them. I always keep those. That always makes me win my games and all this stuff. Really? Why not just leaving the stank socks in the washing machine and going straight to God and going, God, give me the power to win this game today, right? Don't you think that's a better thing than trusting some lucky thing? But there's, we, we dabble in stuff. But here's a problem. We think that some of those things have power. The problem is they do have power, but it is the wrong kind of power. It is the wrong kind of power. Horoscopes, Ouija boards, all that stuff, stuff will happen if you mess around with that stuff because it is used towards worship of wrong gods and wrong idols. We know that in this world, the Bible tells us, there is two forms of spiritual power. One comes from God, one comes from the devil, right? There isn't, there's no neutral ground. There's either you're on one spiritual side or the other. And we start to play around with that stuff. We're basically in rebellion to God and we're looking for power that we actually might get. Stuff might tap into it as we worship those other things. But God's going, but I'm bigger, I'm better, I'm stronger, and you don't need that other stuff. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. So why mess around with cheap imitation when you can have the real deal and go directly to him in prayer every single day, right? So that's just a side note on the idols thing. Paul's going, the idols, why waste time with that? Don't mess around with that. The idols themselves, they got nothing, but you're basically coming in allegiance to those gods because of what those idols represent. So if you got stuff in your house like this stuff, get rid of it. Why would you have anything competing with God if your house is supposed to be a house of the Lord? You got some of this stuff at home? Toss it. You don't need it. Because that stuff, there's no power in itself, but what it represents is worshiping some other form of God that is lesser and that is not as good as our God. Amen? You guys see where we're going? That's a good thing. But so Paul says, but at this point, you know what? The meat is just the meat. And he's kind of said that the idols don't have anything in them. The meat is just the meat. But some people had just come out of those pagan religions and they're going, but, but you know what? We're not there. We're not at the freedom level of Christianity yet. We think there's, there's stuff going on with that meat. We don't want to touch it and you shouldn't either. And so there's there's fighting and division within the church over this thing. Um, and we're thinking right now, you're probably sitting here going, I got no problems with meat sacrificed to idols because I've never eaten any, right? Anybody in here eat idol meat before? <laughs> Not really, right? Well, we got someone that, that might have. Maybe you guys have experience with that. But most of us, this doesn't super apply. But the principle, like Paul is trying to say, still applies to certain situations in our life. What about this one? Christians drinking alcohol. Oh, oh, controversy right there, right? Because you get Christians that believe, you know what? The Bible says don't get drunk. It doesn't say don't drink. The Bible says that they took wine with communion, so there's alcohol. What's going on? Even Jesus did it, right? And so people will say, you know what? I never get drunk. I'm not going to get drunk, and I'll have a glass of wine, one or two beers, know my limits, never getting drunk. Just it's legal. It's good. That's where I stand. You got Christians on the other end of it. They come along and they say, you know what? It is bad, and, and you should avoid it at all costs. You should, you should always avoid alcohol because it leads to certain things. Or some people are going, I used to be an alcoholic. I really struggle with this stuff, and I'm not going to do it, and no one else should either. I'm not going to give you an answer on this, but I'm saying, do you see how this is an issue in our churches today? What about the music you watch, the TV shows you watch, the movies you watch, right? This is real stuff that we deal with. Some Christians go, you know what? I, I just got to follow God only. I only watch G movies right? If you can even find them anymore, right? But there's some people, I only watch G movies and uh, maybe a, an occasional PG bar. Some people are like, I don't watch movies at all. They're all of the devil. 
And then you got other guys that are just like, you know what, I'll watch the R-rated as long as it's like shoot them up, action, bang kind of stuff. I'm not going to watch the erotic kind of sexual stuff. So that's my stance. So you get people in all different levels of even movie, of TV, even music, right? Some people, I'm Christian, only Christian music. Nothing else is edifying. Okay, that's cool. And that's where you're at. But then you got other ones that go, well, I listen to whatever, you know, and, and here's, here's my stance. Do you see how this is starting to come a reality in practical terms where we're at? The food sacrifice, the idol thing, it actually applies to other situations in our lives. Some people go, yeah, as a Christian, smoking cigarettes is just as bad as drugs. You should never do it, da 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 da, da. That's cool. That's your stance. And you got other people going, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I've been addicted to cigarettes and nicotine for so long, and it's really hard to quit, and I love God, and I want to quit. It's just I'm having a hard time. And so you got some people judging you should never do it. You're sinning if you're smoking. And some going, I'm sorry, I can't help it. And do you see how this is like a touchy, sensitive issue here? But here's Paul getting right into it, and he's going, but what wins? What wins out over all of this knowledge and these, these different places where you want to be in your faith and trying to convict someone else? You've got to let love lead. And this is the heart of what he's trying to say. And we need to be aware of where others are at in their Christian maturity. Write that down for yourself. Be aware of where other Christians are at in their maturity level or non-Christians. We're not called to judge outside the church. And if you're judging in the church, it better be all based on the Bible and you better be leading with love and helping someone along coming to understanding instead of judging and forcing someone to come be where you're at. There's times in our lives when people are just not ready to accept where we're at yet, and that's, that's fine. Like with my kids, I, around the house, growing up with my kids, we're always like playing jokes on each other. I love to scare my kids, right? We hide, and I've told you guys this before, I like scaring people, and my kids are all into it too, so like we come home sometimes and my kids are like, rah, and they'll jump out and scare, oh, you know, like, got you, dad, you know? So I always would do that to my kids. I would go to great lengths, hide in the shower stall, you know, and just be hiding, like, hey, you know, while they're, while they're using the bathroom, ah, you know, fall off the toilet. I love scaring my kids, you know, and they, they dig it, you know? But then we had um, little Sammy come along, and she's baby, right? She was younger. And the other two, they're all in, in the mix. And the first time, like, I scared her, like, bah, came out. She was, ah, you know, she, she loved, ah, dad. you know, she's all bummed at me and had, had to take, like, the whole half hour holding. It's okay. It's, it's fun. You know, look at your brother and sister, you know. The reason being is she wasn't at the maturity level yet to understand the whole scare game, right? And the other kids are all there. But there's times when I got to go, look, she's there. I'm not going to, I'm going to say she's wrong. Where she's at, it's right for her. And that's what she feels. Dad scared me. That's mean, right? And where I'm at, it's like, I'm having fun with my kids. Who's right? Who's wrong? Doesn't matter. I want to be family with them. I want them to love me and me to love them. And we're going to get through life together. Does that make sense? And there's sometimes when we major in the minors so much. You guys get what I'm saying? We, we make so much importance out of things that aren't that big of a deal to God. And we disrupt the family because we're focused so much and we blow things out of proportion. When really, it's time to just kind of make allowances for one another, compromise, and love each other. And seek God together. Look, look in the scripture for answers together. Verse 10. For if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol. Remember I said they had restaurants right in front of the temples there. They're just selling the meat. It's not in worship. It's just eating. If they see you eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. Wow. Because you think you're so right, you're going to force that on someone, and they're going to be messed up, and their walk with God's going to be destroyed. He says, And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something that they believe is wrong, 
you're sinning against Christ. That's heavy. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I'll never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Man, what a heart Paul had, yeah, to write this. Romans, he also reiterates it in Romans 14, verse 13. Let's stop condemning each other. Instead, decide to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, then you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. I've actually seen people lose friendships and leave churches over getting into disputes with other Christians about what they eat. And some of you guys may, may have seen this before. It's crazy that someone goes, you know what? Um, I, I'm saved. I'm redeemed by God. I trust God. I'm going to eat. I'm just going to eat whatever. And, and this is how I'm going to live my life. And then other people are going, you know what? You know what? The, bo- the body is a temple. So I'm going all vegan status. And I'm not eating any of that stuff. And I'm just going to go over here. And this is how all Christians ought to be. And this guy's going, no, no, all Christians should have freedom. You should eat whatever you want. It doesn't matter. This guy says, no, no, it does matter. And what happens? People start beefing in the family of God, and they leave relationships with each other. They leave churches over this. I've seen this. It's sad. And here's Paul going, don't take it there. Don't let it get out of hand. Be aware of where other people are at and honor them and let God deal with them where they're at. And you can talk to them about it, but bring it back to God's word. But don't try to force other people to where you're at. Younger believers, I want them to come up and have the maturity that I have, but I'm not going to force them and kick them and prod them to get there. I'm going to come alongside, like we talked about our good teachers, not make someone feel stupid, come along and say, hey, have you ever thought of this? Or where where do you stand on that? Oh, that's cool. And there's sometimes I'm just going to hold my tongue because they're not ready to hear it yet, and I'm not going to force or judge them. I'm just going to allow them to discover who God is. Is that good? We need to be supportive of one another. And I believe it's this, the last point is that there's going to be plenty times, there should be, when we're willing to take one for the team. That we're willing to suck it up and with our superior knowledge, and I'm right on this, and realize that right doesn't always win and doesn't always help someone else, that sometimes we're going to just sip the tongue, kick back, and let that person progress at their own rate where they're at and actually meet them right there and help them instead of forcing on them. There's going to be times where, write this in your notes, love must always include compromise and sacrifice. True love will always include compromise and sacrifice. In any marriage relationship, whatever, I didn't get married and say, I'm going to live my life this way, and Kanani's going to come along for the ride, but I'm not doing anything that she says. I'm not going to go her way. I'm not going to watch any of her chick flicks. I'm not going to eat her food. I'm still going to live my life. Well, that's not true love, right? That's true love of self, of Carl. My way is the right way. Anyone else, you're wrong. I'm going to force my opinions on you. True love must always include compromise and sacrifice. And in the the family of God, we're all at different walks and different places, right? And not that we're condoning sin, but we let people slowly find their way. If someone's at first grade level and someone else is at fifth grade level, whatever, you make allowances for one another because love has got to be greater than our knowledge, right? So we we take things for the team sometimes. We take one for the team like this. I'm riding in a car, and someone is telling me, oh, oh, you don't, you don't listen to just Christian music, Pastor? You don't just have the fish on all the time? Like, oh, are, are you saying, oh, oh, really? Oh, okay, Beep. I'll turn it, right? I got to take one for the team. I really wanted to listen to whatever is playing and loud and whatever I like to listen to at that moment, and I'm not saying it's bad, whatever, nothing is good or bad, but if someone's in my car and they feel that way, 
I'm going to take one for the team and I'm going to go to their level because I want to have a relationship with them and I'll bless them, right? If it's, you're out to dinner and it's a good party and stuff and like someone brought a really great bottle of wine, you're like, oh, I can't wait to have a glass. And then you know someone over here is kind of struggling. They got a different view. Maybe they came out of alcoholism. You're going to take one for the team, cap the bottle, put it away for later because you love that person. You guys get what I'm saying? That we have to have compromise. We have to have sacrifice. We have to be aware of those that are around us. Take one for the team. When you're praying over someone, a lot of us in this church, man, the Holy Spirit moves in this church. Miracles are happening. Amen? Amen? We see stuff happening all the time. God is doing miracles. And sometimes we get so fired up, we just want someone to have all of God's power in their life at one time, right? And we're just like, come here, you need a deliverance right now. And I'm going to pray the power of the Holy Spirit on you. And I don't care if you want it or not, you're getting it right now, right? And the person just like, oh, 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 you know, what am I doing here, right? They're like, deliver what? I don't understand what you're saying, right? You need the Holy Ghost. Ghost, there's a ghost in the Bible? I don't want anything to do with ghosts, right? And we just want to come on them, in Jesus' name, and whack, oh, you know? There has to be a time and a place where we suck up all that enthusiasm and power of the Holy Spirit, take one for the team and go, oh, wait, let me explain to you who the Holy Spirit is in the Bible. And let's talk a little bit before you're ready to jump into that kind of stuff. Do you guys get where I'm getting at? This happens in our church more, than, more often than we think. Mini church. Let's go deep tonight, guys. Yeah, I'm fired up. I just learned this theological thing. I was reading a commentary. I heard a guy on the radio. Oh, we're going to have a good talk tonight. And in walks two brand new believers, right? And you just want to get all deep. And you're like, oh, no, right? Well, what do you do? Let love lead. Take one for the team. You can go get deep later. Go love on these new people. Come to their level and encourage them. Because us as a church, we're always searching for the balance of going deep and going basic, right? We're always looking for that proper balance because we want to be a light to the world, but we also want to grow and continue in discipleship and learning about God. No one ever seems to have it perfectly in the middle, right? We're always looking for that. But I just think as our church, if we're going to fall onto one side or the other, we're definitely falling on the basic side. You know why? Because those of us that are already deep, we're in the family of God already. And we know how to get deeper. You have a Bible. Go read your Bible. Go spend some time with the Lord. Go talk to someone else. Get deep. You can always go there. That's available to you. But there's a world out there. If we're not preaching in a way that is reaching the unchurched and making the scripture come alive and easy and speak real to those that are at beginner levels of Christianity or pre-Christians, then how are they ever going to grow in the Lord? How are they ever going to make it to heaven if we don't provide a place that speaks to them to bring them in? Amen? we got to be about the lost. And I want to be balanced and all that stuff. And I, I love to go into deep stuff too. But we, we preach a whole sermon on that. Deeper means doing. You want to go deep with God? Do something about it. Get involved. It's not just about digging deep in the Word. But I think we got to always remember, I'm going to take one for the team because this guy doesn't know Jesus. So I'm going to come his way and love on him. Is that good? that we need to learn to take one for the team. Don't force your maturity or your knowledge on other people. I'm going to end with this story. I got a phone call from Mike Kai, uh, pastor at Hope Chapel West Oahu on Friday. He's my good friend. You guys like Mike Kai? He's an awesome guy. Great church, Hope West Oahu. They put on all the conferences. Um, he's a, a good brother in the Lord, a good friend of mine. But in a lot of ways, he's kind of like a big brother to me as far as in the ministry. As I'm stepping into right now, currently, lead pastor of this church. And it's a brand new thing for me to be kind of managing the whole deal. And it's a big thing, big responsibility. I take it very seriously. But here's Mike, who's been a lead pastor for about 12 years now, I think around, around about there. So he's gone before me. So he's, he's plowed a lot of ground. He's learned a lot of things. He's got a lot of wisdom and experience. So whenever I talk to him, I'm just like gleaning stuff. 
And he's always teaching me things, and he's always offering me, hey, Carl, you want to get John Bevere? I can hook you up with John Bevere. He'd bless your church. You should, you should get him. Yeah, Mike, show me how to do that. Right? And he's talking to me about staff structuring and church councils and all that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the cool thing about Mike is in the midst of him calling me and just giving me all this wisdom and stuff, Friday night, I just start realizing whenever I talk to Mike, he doesn't make me feel dumb. He's farther along than me. He's gone before me. He knows all this stuff, but he doesn't make me feel dumb. He comes alongside with where I'm at. He comes to my level and he encourages me and he, he helps me grow in the Lord without feeling like he's forcing me to be where he's at. You guys know what I'm saying there? And so I just told him in the middle of it, I go, Mike, you know what? I just got to tell you this, man. I'm really appreciative of you. You know, we're on the phone. I'm sitting in my garage. I'm talking. I go, Mike, me and Kanani really love you and Lisa, and we love your church. We're so glad that we're, like, in the same family. My dad was, like, Mike's spiritual father, and my dad is my physical father, right? (laughs) So in a sense, I told him, you're like a big brother to me and where you're going and what you're doing. But I go, Mike, Every time you talk to me, thank you for talking to me at my level and not making me feel like the, the newbie or the rookie or the beginner. Thank you for encouraging me and building me up and taking me to where you're at. I'm kind of getting like a little bit emotional because it's kind of like heavy, right? Like, oh, thank you, man. Appreciate it. And he's just like, no, Carl, no. No, you, man. It's you, you know? And he's like going through, oh, I'm getting choked up here, right? And he's like, no, I, I appreciate that so much. And like I said, the other services, we were having a pretty heavy bro-ment, you know, the bro-moment. Like, hey, bro, I love you, bro. I love you too, man. I love you. And so we're having this, like, touching thing, right? We're like, oh, right on. Shrug it off. Shrug it off, right? I'm in the garage, and the kids are walking by. I'm like, oh. And we're having this cool conversation, but the whole thing was just that me and Mike, he's farther ahead than me, but he never makes me feel dumb, and I just, I appreciate that, and I love that. And I'm like, I want to be like that to the guys that are learning from me and that are following me. I want our church to be a resource to anybody that's out there. I don't care if you started your church yesterday, you got three people in it. I'm never going to make someone feel dumb. I want to come alongside and support you and be with you. And I'll put aside all my so-called knowledge so that I can have love for you and support you. And that's what Paul is saying. Meet, sacrifice the idols. Yeah, that doesn't apply, but all this other stuff does apply. Bring someone to where you're at. Come to their level. Guide them. Love on them. Don't make someone feel stupid. Isn't that a good word today? It's an encouraging word. Thank you, Lord, for that. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your scripture, Father God, that it does encourage us and it it shows us where to go. Um, Lord, once in a while it convicts us and it blasts us, but sometimes it's just that good, soft, gentle word that just brings in the logic that we were needing to hear. Just the little encouraging words to kind of push us in the right direction to remember that um, none of us are perfect, Lord, and some of us have more knowledge, but If we just focus on that knowledge, all that does is puff up our pride. Lord, we all want to know you. We all want to know about you, but more more so we really want to know you and know your character and realize that your character is, and of itself, love. And if we want to act like you and we want to make you proud, then, Lord, we're told to live a life of love, Lord, that we would lead with love in every situation and relationship. And there's always going to be gray areas and things for Christians to discuss, but, Lord, we don't want to major in the minors. We want to focus on you and on others, and loving them, and being a family of God. Lord, there's so much more things we could be proactive about than, than discussing uh, TV shows, or drinking, or tattoos, or any of this kind of stuff. Lord, we just want to love you, and we want to be a family. Show us how to get there, Father God. As we're praying right now, I would love to just give the opportunity to say a prayer, to lead you in a prayer that would bring you into possibly a first-time relationship with Jesus Christ. Possibly for the first time, there's People sitting here today that are saying, you know what, I, I, I need God. I recognize I need something else. I need some help. I need some wisdom in my life. And 
I need some love and some forgiveness. And it sounds like, Pastor, what you're offering, what you're talking about here, sounds like something that I need. So maybe you came here today looking for God. Well, you've got to understand that God found you. He's been looking for you. And he's been waiting for you to come to him for a long time. And maybe you're finally at the place right now where you can say, I'm ready. I want it. Here's my life. Take it. Do something cool with it. Forgive me. Change me. I would love right now, love, love, love to lead you in a, that prayer. A simple prayer getting you right with God, allowing you to become his child and to be covered and allowing for his power to work in your life and for him to forgive you and to know, to be assured that you're going to heaven someday, to know that Jesus is the savior of your life. If that's a prayer that you'd like to pray to really just say, hey, pastor, I want, I want Jesus. I want to be a Christian. I'm going to try it. I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to go God's way. And I'm praying that it's good. I'm praying that my life changes because of that. I want to lead you in a prayer right now to do just that. And how we're going to do it is, I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to lead you in the prayer, but I'm going to say it out loud. I'm just going to ask that you would pray it in your heart because I know you might be kind of scared to pray it out loud in front of everybody here right now. I'm going to ask that you would make it the prayer of your heart, the words that I'm going to say out loud for you. And the people that are sitting down around you have their eyes closed and their heads bowed, but I would like for you to let me know that we're praying here together. And the way that you're going to let me know is simply by, I'm going to count to three, and on three, I'm going to ask that you would raise your hand just to signal me, just to know that I get the privilege of praying with you and for you here this morning, right now. And again, I say it loud, and you pray it in your heart. But if that's you right now, I'm just going to ask for those hands on three to let me know we're praying together. Ready? One, two, three. Just raise those hands. I see one right here. I see two. I see three. Thank you, Lord. Hold them up high. Four. Five, thank you, Father. Six, just looking around. If there's anyone else, seven right there. Thank you, Lord. Unreal. Good deal. Someone back there, too. Eight, thank you, guys. Good, awesome. There's about eight people in the room today, and even if I didn't see you, God definitely saw you, and He is stoked. Put your hands down and just pray this with me in your heart. Lord, I'm here this morning, and I'm, I'm looking for answers. I'm looking for life change. I'm looking for help and hope and purpose. And Lord, I... I think it's you. Lord, I'm taking a step of faith right now to tell you that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in you from here on out. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to believe that your son Jesus came to this earth to pay the price for all my sin and my shame and my mistakes and my problems and my hurt and all of that. Lord, I believe that Jesus went to the cross for all those things in my life and then on the third day he rose again and he conquered, he overcame, and he defeated all of that stuff. And so, Lord, for that, I'm thankful, Lord, and I repent. I give you my life. I believe in that. I believe in that act that Jesus did. And from this day forward, I'm telling you, God, I will follow you. I will get a Bible and start reading it. Lord, I will learn to pray and talk to you as you talk to me. Lord, I ask for power to get through this life that changes. Lord, I believe you're a supernatural God, and I want to see supernatural stuff in my life. Lord, I want to see healings and answers to prayer. Lord, baptize me with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, show up in my life in incredible, miraculous ways. I want all that you have. Lord, I promise that if not today, sometime soon, I will go get water baptized as a symbol of dying to my old self, of, of going into that grave and being dying to that old man, of being washed clean and being a new person as I come up out of that water. Lord, I want to do that and I will do that to let everybody know this decision I'm making in my heart right now. But Lord, most of all, here's me. Here's all of me. Here's nothing, nothing short of my whole life. I want it to come under your authority from here on out. I choose you as my God. Thank you for choosing me as your child from this day forward on into eternity. And in Jesus' mighty name, we all said, 
Amen. And we praise God for those people that prayed with us. Amen. We're so excited if you chose to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning. We want to encourage you to go get a Bible. Go get connected at the Welcome Lounge. If you are new to this church, go find out who we are. Don't just take it for granted that we may or may not be cool. but Or, I mean, not cool, but God followers and everything you're looking for. We are cool, but we want to make sure that you know who we are and what we're doing. So go check out the Welcome Lounge. Um, they all have green shirts on out there, easy to find. And if you want to get baptized, um, we are all about that. So just go to the pool. Um, it's right out there, the big tub filled with water. We want to baptize you. Were you guys blessed this morning? God is so good. Let's stand. If you are a guy and you want to help break down the chairs, that would be amazing, and we would love you for that. But let's stand and worship Jesus. Have a wonderful weekend. Well, if you're